Let us pray. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through Christ our Lord. Our first scripture reading this morning will be from the New Testament, from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Listen carefully for the word of the Lord. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whenever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise the word of the Lord. So our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from what many call the Book of the Twelve, the so-called minor prophets that close the Old Testament, but I've never really thought there was anything minor about Amos or his words. We read from his uh, book of prophecy, the seventh chapter, verses 7 through 17. So listen now for these major words from a minor prophet. This is what God showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. And then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. 
For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away from the land of Judah, earn your bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, says the Lord, Your wife shall become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be parceled out by line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the man we know as Amos was, in many respects, a very unlikely choice to be a spokesman for God. He was from Tekoa a little place not far from Jerusalem, but pretty much the last stop on the way into the wilderness. It was just a little desert outpost on the way to not much of anywhere. And Amos made his living herding sheep and gathering figs from the sycamore trees that grew in and around the town. He was a shepherd farmer. He had no power. He had no money. He had no family name. All he had was a call. For some reason, God called this unknown, obscure man to speak God's truth. The Lord took me from following the flock, Amos said, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. In hindsight, it's pretty clear why God called Amos. God had to have chosen Amos because God knew that Amos would tell it straight. Amos would tell the truth. Even when the truth was inconvenient, he would confront the church with what was wrong, even when the church didn't really want to hear about what was wrong. He would challenge the king, even if the king could possibly kill him to keep him quiet. Amos was a straight shooter, and God needed a straight shooter. That value is very clear in the vision that God gives to the prophet. Amos, God said, what do you see? And what he saw was a string with a weight on it, a plumb line. When building a house, a plumb line is used to make sure things are straight and true. If something is skewed or uneven or out of sync, the plumb line makes those problems obvious so they can be fixed before it is too late. God used this image because God was worried that things in Israel were getting out of kilter. The walls of the nation that God was building were skewed and leaning. The foundations were uneven. The orientation wasn't true. God's plans had been very specific. Scripture lays it all out how we are to treat one another, how we are to love one another, how we are to look out for the weak and the vulnerable among us. 
how we are to maintain holy and righteous lives as best we can. But the human builders were not following these plans. God the creator, God the master architect, stopped construction for a moment to use a divine measure of truth to see how the work was progressing, and Israel, God found, was not measuring up. In fact, the problems were getting so bad that the very integrity and future of the nation was being threatened. So while God's plumb line made it perfectly plain, easy to see the problems that were developing, bringing the difficult news of those problems to the people was not easy at all. When Amos shared this vision that he had been given by God, the powers that were did not appreciate it at all. There were all kinds of prophets in those days. There were wandering free-range prophets, kind of like Amos. There were prophets who stayed at home in occupied territory, like Jeremiah. There were prophets who were carried off with the elites into exile, like Ezekiel. And there were prophets who made a cozy living serving the king in the comfort of the palace, like Amaziah. Amaziah made a pretty good living telling the king exactly what the king wanted to hear. And Amaziah was pretty sure the king wasn't going to want to hear what Amos was saying about the king's construction practices. So Amaziah started what can only be described as a smear campaign against God's straight shooter. His tactics were actually pretty familiar to us. First, he went to the king and accused Amos of being an enemy of the state. Even though it was God who said he was coming against Jeroboam II with the sword, Amaziah made it sound like it was Amos who had the sword in his hand. And having planted that ill will in the heart of the king, Amaziah then went after Amos's credibility, and he worked to undermine his public authority with the people without appreciating the obvious irony the palace prophet accused Amos of being in it for the money. Go away to the land of Judah, Amaziah said. Earn your bread there. Why don't you leave and never come back? And even in the face of these assaults, Amos stood firm. I'm no prophet, he said. I don't have a fancy room in the palace or the castle. I am just a herdsman. I'm a fig farmer. And I'm just doing what God told me that I should do. First thing we learn from God's plumb line is that God always has called straight shooters to speak God's words and to be God's voice. God chooses simple and courageous people who are willing to see the brokenness of the world for what it truly is. God loves straight shooters. God needs straight shooters, and Amos was a straight shooter. The second thing we learn from the plumb line is that sin is never straight. No matter how hard we may try to justify it. It is rumored that when he was president, Calvin Coolidge went to church by himself on one Sunday morning. And when he got home, his wife asked, so what did the preacher 
preach about. Coolidge, known to be a man of few words, said simply, sin. (laughs) So Miss Coolidge pressed him a little bit. She said, well, what did he say about sin? And the president replied, he was against it. (laughs) That pastor was telling it straight. God was, is, and will always be against sin. The book of Amos details all kinds of sins that were going on in the nation of Israel. There were economic sins. The wealthy were taking advantage of the poor, throwing the poor into debt slavery for almost any small infraction, even if they couldn't pay for a small garment or even a pair of shoes. They sell the righteous for silver, Amos said, and the needy for a pair of sandals. They were also rigging the scales to their advantage. They were using false weights. They were selling low and requiring payments that were high. They were using other deceptive trade practices. And there were also religious and spiritual sins. Those who came to the synagogue in Amos's view were lazy and selfish. They were living only for themselves Self-indulgent churchgoers were robbing the poor to pay for their wine. Idolatry was widespread within the community. There were pagan gods of sex and war and power and wealth, and they were being pursued over all else. The hypocrisy of the church in the face of social injustice had gotten so bad that the prophet was instructed to bring these words from God. I hate I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings, your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. It was the same kind of hypocrisy that Martin Luther King Jr. saw in the churches of his day as churches prayed and sang to God on Sunday and then left and fully endorsed and practiced the institutional racism of Jim Crow during every other hour of the week. It made perfect sense that the next line that Amos would have written thousands of years earlier would become a mantra of the civil rights movement, let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It was as if God was so repulsed and disgusted by the actions of his supposedly faithful people that he wanted a rushing river to fall down upon the entire nation and wash it all out. We in the church continue to turn a blind eye to the injustices of the world, Choosing comfort over righteousness, privilege over equity, and convenient lies over difficult truths. We may work to ignore the parts that we play in these sins, but God sees it all clearly, and we are not fooling God. Sin is never straight, no matter how hard we try to justify it. A third thing we learn from Amos and his plumb line and the point that we will close with this morning 
is that God always tells it straight and God's message always points directly to hope. The book of Amos on the whole does not paint a happy picture for Israel. Pretty much all of it is dark and foreboding. Judgment was promised and promised soon. And history soon proved that Amos was indeed a straight shooter as the Assyrian army came in and everything happened just as Amos said that it would. But hope is always present in God's kingdom, even on the darkest days. It took him a long time to get there, but in the final words of his prophecy at the end of chapter 9, Amos includes this prophet promise from God. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them upon their land and they shall never again be plucked up out of the land that I have given them. Even in God's disgust with Israel's sin, God promises eventual salvation. As theologian and professor Shirley Guthrie once said, God's love is always just and God's justice is always loving. And it is out of love for us and love for the world that God's holiness insists upon justice. In order for us to be clean, God says, certain practices must be stopped. In order for us to live, God says, certain things must die. And Amos is clear about what those things are. Wealth that depends upon taking advantage of others must die. Power that dehumanizes or demonizes others or relegates them to subordinate status must die. Notions of security that abuse innocent people and policies that abuse children must die. The worship of worldly values that do not align with God's eternal values must die. And these things have been sentenced to death by God because they are not straight and because they are not true and because they do not jive with the plumb line that Holy Scripture holds before us. And these can be difficult truths. But God always tells it straight. And that for us should be a great comfort that we can trust God's words. There's a good old story that has been in the church for a long time that was first told by author and pastor Lloyd C. Douglas. Douglas was taking violin lessons from an old musician in his congregation. And the violinist's many years of practice and prayer and faith had imbued him with both musical skills and deep wisdom. And Douglas remembered coming in one morning for his lesson, and as he sat down in the student's chair, he asked very lightheartedly, so, what's the good news today? And the old man kind of 
got up from his chair and he walked over to a tuning fork that had been suspended from a cord over his workbench. And he took a mallet and he struck that fork sharply and he let that tone echo through the small room. There's the good news for today, he said. That note is an A. It was an A all day yesterday. It will be an A all of next week, and it will be an A for years to come. In the kingdom of God, faith, hope, and love abide, truth abides, holiness and righteousness abides, and about these things God always tells it straight. And that is why we can say with confidence and assurance, along with the writer of Hebrews, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The Lord said to Amos, what do you see? And Amos said, I see a plumb line. The Lord said, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people. And that plumb line still hangs straight and true today, and it tells us straight a few important things about God. The first is that God loves the straight shooter. The things that contend against God rely on lies and deception and misdirection But God has always called those who can and will speak divine and eternal truth to the world, even when telling that truth is dangerous. The second thing is that sin is never straight. No matter how hard we may try to justify the way things are, there are things that the righteousness and the holiness of God just cannot abide. And if we think we're fooling God, then we are just fooling ourselves. And last but certainly not least, God always tells it straight. God's love is always just and God's justice is always loving. But for us to live in justice must die. But that death is just a part of the rebirth that God always has in view and in mind. For God's message is always a straight line towards life. Thanks be to God for that. Amen.